The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I am so glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, and you can borrow that or have it. It's up to you. Um, Listen, we've been on a journey through 1 Corinthians, and we've made it to chapter 10, which blows my mind. We've we've, We've covered quite a bit of ground. But here we're going we're gonna to start in at, at chapter 10 together. And before we do, I want to ask you how many enjoy history. That is way more than I thought. I love our church. All right, you'll like these quotes. Um, I want to start with just a few quotes to get us um, thinking in the direction that Paul's going to lead us this morning. Uh, you may have heard of some of these. So here's the first. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It's a good one, right? I think some of us may have heard that one. Uh, How about this one? Learning history is easy. Learning its lessons seem almost impossibly difficult. Some truth to that. Some truth to that. Uh, This next one's one of my favorites. It's a little more pessimistic, but I love this one. The only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. That's good. That's good. Uh, I want to give you one more. This one comes from our Bibles. Um, so trump card. No, I'm joking. Uh, this comes from Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in the future generations. No one will remember what we are doing now. All of these quotes point to a tendency we have. This tendency that we share in common no matter when you were born or where you were born, and that is we tend to think of ourselves as the climax of human history. (laughs) All of time has led to this moment, led to this time. And as a result of that, we struggle to learn from history. We struggle. So there's a uh, C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He came up with a term for this. And he coined this term and, and called it chronological snobbery. Isn't that good? Chronological snobbery. Now, um, J.I. Uh, Packer is a, is a theologian of our day, phenomenal. And he calls this chronological snobbery the great heretical spirit of our age. And he's going to define it. And I want you to tell me if this doesn't hit close to home. All right. Here it is. The newer is truer. Only what is recent is decent. Every shift of ground is a step forward. And every latest word must be hailed as the last word on its subject. Amen. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is chronological snobbery. But here in our text this morning, the reason I bring all this up is Paul is going to direct us, drive us, to look back, to consider history. He's going to challenge this tendency, drive us to look back so that we can learn and that we can apply lessons from history, from those who have gone before us. And so I want to do this this morning as we get to our text. 
I want to ask you just for a quick moment if we could bow our heads and if we could ask that God would speak, that he would give us the ability to hear his word and that he would give us the ability to not just end there but to apply his word. So would you pray with me this morning, church? Um, God, you are the creator. You are perfect. You are love. You are just. And Lord, as we come to this text, as we wrestle with history, as we wrestle with our lives, as we look at your character, we need you. Would you speak and illuminate your word through your Holy Spirit? And would you just bring joy and peace to our hearts as we rest in your word this morning? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, Paul's going to draw our focus and our attention back to history. I want us to dive in this morning. I want to give you a warning as we do. Um, We are going to be jumping all over the place in our Bibles this morning. And it's not my fault. Paul does this to us, all right? But I wanted to warn you because if you would like to just anchor yourself in 1 Corinthians and not bother flipping back and forth, I'm going to put references up here. And if you would like to dig later, go for it. Uh, But you might not have time to do the the flipping work is what I'm getting at. But if you do, if you're competitive, let's do it, all right? So verse 1, chapter 10 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, we'll pause here. Um, I wish that we had the opportunity, wish we had the time to walk through every one of these moments that Paul just referenced. But what Paul is going to do here, what he does in the first five verses, is he summarizes Exodus. He summarizes that moment when God frees his people. More than that, he summarizes their time in the wilderness. He just offers this five verses of overview. It's like a 30,000-foot view is what he gives us in verses 1 through 5. And and so, for example, you'll see this when he says, Our fathers were all under the cloud, right, and passed through the sea, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Here, Paul is referring to that miraculous moment. God delivered his people, freed them. You see this in the first part of Exodus, Exodus specifically 13 through 14. God frees his people from systemic racial slavery, frees them by his power, sets them free, delivers them, even guides them through a sea by his power. Then Paul says they all ate the same spiritual food. They, they all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock. And he's referencing here that miraculous way that God provided for them, sustained them in the wilderness. That We're talking here millions of people, millions of people that, that, that God sustains miraculously. And this, you see this in Exodus chapter 16 and 17. And and Paul here gives him this 30,000-foot view and says, it's by the hand of God that you were both freed and sustained. It's this 30,000-foot view to show us the absolute power of God on display. And I want to just recommend, if you haven't read this portion of Scripture in a while, maybe if you've never read it, I encourage you to read it. 
It just showcases the power of our God in such a beautiful way. And here, Paul is reminding him, hey, hey, our God is faithful, and he's reminding this young church in Corinth the same thing, and he's pointing them back to this history. Now what's going to happen, though, and I want us to move forward, because Paul's going to go from the 30,000-foot view, and he's going to settle in, drop in, to three specific stories. And I would like us to walk through these together and see what Paul is bringing out. And before he gets to these stories, I love this. Paul tells us exactly why he's about to share these stories. He says, verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, hey, this is an object lesson here. Take notice. Pay attention. And then he repeats that at the end in verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for what? For our instruction. Again, again, example, object lesson. Paul is telling them, hey, history has a tendency of repeating itself. Let's learn. So, Let's look at these stories this morning, and again, I encourage you, if you want to go deeper in any of them, I'm going to have the references up there, write them down and go deeper. Uh, but let's look at these stories. Paul references the first one in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 32. This story honestly baffles me until I realize how much I'm like them. Um, here's what's happening in this story. Uh, God had just delivered his people from slavery, like we just talked about, and they were settling in, and then their, Moses, their leader, was called to go up to speak to God, God himself. So if you can picture it, the people of Israel just freed, they settle in at the foot of this mountain, and their leader, the one who God used to free them, is now going up to speak with the God who freed them. And they're down here at the bottom of this mountain. So picturing it, some of you might. All right, here we go. Exodus 32 it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves, they came to Aaron, said, make us gods who can go before us. As for Moses, this man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's become of that guy, right? Um, so, hey, Moses is taking too long. We don't know what happened. He could be gone for all we know. So let's make some gods to worship. Let's just make some gods uh, to worship and forget the one who, true God who just delivered us. Let's, let's, let's make some gods. So Aaron, who was um, in charge of the people, uh, while Moses was gone, he, in, I just don't understand it, right? He says, okay, guys, take all of your gold rings, everything gold you have from your sons, your daughters, your wives, everything, bring them to me, put them together, and I'm going to fashion a golden calf, all right? I'm going to fashion this golden calf, and, and this just blows my, my mind. At the end of verse 4, it says, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What? You just made that God. This is the God. So it, ascribing to these little, this golden cow, what the one true God has just done. 
So instead of God's people consecrating themselves before this mountain and doing what God said, instead they created an idol. And then I want you to listen to this. This comes from the end of verse 5 and verse 6. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. It's party time. And they rose up early the next day, burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down, here's our quote, to eat and drink and rose up to play. All right, so here in this moment, the people of God, the people of God were taking the old ways of Egypt, and and they were taking the old gods of Egypt. They were reverting back to what they knew. They were reverting back to what they had just experienced, what they had just seen, and forgetting that they had just truly witnessed the one true God act on their behalf. They were reverting back to what they knew. And and so instead of worshiping God, they were, our man Moses is taking too long. He might be dead, so, you know, let's make something to worship and let's throw a party. Let's feast. And so it says they sat down to eat, drink, rose up to play. And so, in other words, literally, God, this whole thing is not happening according to our timeline. This whole thing is just... It's taken too long. We don't know what happened to him, so we're going to go a different route. We're going to rely on other things, old things, old ways of doing things. We're going to rely on what our past culture told us to rely on. We're just going to jump ship, and we're going to go back to what we knew. It's a good thing we never do that. It's a good thing we don't have that same tendency in us. Instead of consecrating themselves, doing what Moses told them to be doing, they, they instead decide, decide to make this calf and throw a party. So here, impatience leads them to forget God. Impatience leads them to forget his faithfulness and his commands and his ways. When God does not act according to our timeline, do we forget the faithfulness of our God? Do we forget his ways? Do we forget what he told us? And do we try to take on what our culture tells us to be taking on? I need to move. There are two more stories. This is the heart of idolatry. And it's, it's at the heart of those who came before us. So let's move to story number two, verse eight. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. This is a direct reference uh, from Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25, and this is what's happening here. While the people of God were in the wilderness, like we just talked about, uh, verse 1 of chapter 25 says, they began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Now, this is a huge statement, huge statement, because here, sexual sin, sexual immorality, sexual desire was leading God's people into deeper and deeper idolatry. It was leading them to forget about their God, to forget his faithfulness, to forget his commands and his ways. And in verse 2, it says, these invited the people to sacrifice to their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal, which was an ancient pagan false god. So sexual desire here led them to yoke themselves and to pursue the fake and false gods of another culture. Don't miss this, because this would have hit really close to home to this church in Corinth. 
We've talked a lot about Corinth, but this was a city known for sexual exploration, and it was a sexually driven, as Las Vegas of the day, right? And even those, those things had begun to creep into the church. So when Paul says this, it would have hit them right between the eyes. And I'll say it again, it's a good thing we're nothing like that. As we're able to see here in our text, in, in Numbers and in 1 Corinthians, it didn't end well for them. It doesn't end well. We can read more in, in chapter 25 of Numbers, but God's wrath was stirred, and there was a judgment for those, as the text said, who decided to yoke themselves to Baal. Paul references this when he says, and 23,000 fell in a single day. He draws their attention back to this story in history, and follow me. He says, when impatience led a people to forget and to revert back into their old ways, he reminds them of when sexual desire led a people to idolatry and destruction. And Paul says, hey, learn from this. Learn from this. Now, um, let's move to our third story. I told you, we're moving. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Uh, this is referencing one of the most powerful stories in all of the Old Testament. Uh, this is a direct reference here to Numbers 21. Incredible story. Incredible story. Where um, we read in verse 24 that on their way, they're traveling through the wilderness, and verse 24 says, and the people became impatient on the way. That's kind of a common theme, isn't it? Um, they became impatient along the way. It's a good thing we definitely don't struggle with patience. Uh, verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? That's slavery, by the way. Why have you brought us out to die in the wilderness? There, listen to this. There is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Catch the irony there simultaneously, they're saying, we have no food, we have no water, but the food is terrible. Did you catch it? That's, that's, a, little, that's a little ironic, isn't it? See, what had happened is, is, is that God had just miraculously provided for his people. Miraculously. I mean, millions of people in the wilderness, and God just goes, boom, miracle. I'm going to feed them with heaven bread. Call it manna. I'm going to Feed them, and it's going to be a miracle, and it's going to sustain them. When they should have died, it's going to sustain them. And then these people were saying, God, I'm tired of this food. I know it's sustaining us. I know that without it, we'd be dead. I know that. Um, I know that you're not leaving us out here to die. Instead, we have miracle bread. I get it. But could you send some flavor? <laughs> could you send some variety? Just something else, right? Crazy, right? I mean, it's a good thing. Again, we are not anything like this, that, that God would provide for us, sustain for us, and then instead of gratefulness, we would grumble. That We'd never, ever do that. But here in the story, God's word tells us that the Lord's wrath was kindled against them. And Paul says, we should not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and we're destroyed. So that's exactly what happens. And I want to read Numbers 21 uh, to you, starting in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. 
so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. That is an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. Um, Normally, rabbit trails and sermons are not a good idea. They're not. You frown upon them. You shouldn't do it. Except when they're a gospel rabbit trail, I think it's permissible. All right? So let's go down a rabbit trail just for a quick moment. They just sinned. We're experiencing judgment for their sin. They, God uh, provided them a way for escape. They acknowledged their sin, and when they looked at this bronze serpent, they would live. And literally, they had to look at the very symbol of the serpent, the thing that was killing them. They had to look at that. They had to look at the judgment. When they looked at it, they would live. And church, that's our call. That is our call. The Bible tells us that our Savior took our sin. Took our sin. And our call now is to look to Christ. So when we look at Christ, his work on the cross, we are looking at the judgment for our own sin. We are looking at the symbol of our sin, the judgment of our sin that was placed on him, and we do that in order that we may live. That is beautiful. And that's another sermon. But for now, every time you see an ambulance with a pole and a symbol of a serpent, have you seen it? That came from this. So here's what I want it to be. I want every time you see one for that to be a gospel reminder. Wherever you see one, just stop and say, thank you, Jesus. All right? Rabbit trail over. Here we go. We see God's people grumbling against God because God hadn't provided for them the way that they had wanted him to provide. Um, instead of gratitude, they grumble. And it reveals this idolatrous heart where we desire God's things more than God himself. We're desiring and grumbling against God when we don't get it. So we're grumbling against the creator when his creation isn't to our liking. It's revealing this heart of idolatry. So what we've seen from this history lesson uh, so far, we've seen impatience lead a people to forget and to revert back to their old ways. We've seen sexual desire lead a people to idolatry and to destruction. And we've seen grumbling revealing an idolatrous heart. And I want to say this one last time. It's a good thing we're not like they were back then. Impatience, sexual desire, grumbling, all of this reveal and lead God's people into idolatry. And hear me, they lead God's people to question God's word and to doubt God's goodness and character. To question God's word and to doubt God's goodness and character and then go their own way. Which, is that not exactly what happened in the garden? When you think of Genesis 3, the serpent said, did God actually say? What was that? That was questioning God's word. That was questioning God's word. Then the serpent added, you're not surely going to die. God just doesn't want you to eat that because he knows that if you eat that, you're going to be like him. What was that? It was not only questioning God's word, it was questioning his character and his goodness. 
And then what did that lead them to do? Well, it led them to go their own way and eat of the fruit. Here's why I, I say this. If you've heard nothing this morning, if history's not your thing, listen, idolatry is at the heart of every sin, and, and history has this way of repeating itself. What was true for Adam and Eve in the garden was true for the, is, the people of Israel in the wilderness. What was true for Israel in the wilderness was true for the church in Corinth. And what is true for the church in Corinth is true for us at Stone Oak Bible Church. History has this way of repeating itself. We are prone to wonder still. We are still prone to leave the God that we love. We are prone to idolatry. And we are prone to follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before us, even though they are there as a resounding warning saying, don't go this way. Don't go this way. So Paul says these things happen to them as an example. Written down for your instruction that we would learn. Open our eyes and our ears, Lord, that that this would be a cautionary tale. And that we would course correct. What a message for us today. When God doesn't operate according to our timeline. When we're, do we run to other things? Do we, do we return to things that we once knew before we came to know him when he's not operating the way and in the time that we want him to operate? Do we run to things that are counter to scripture? What do we do when God does not respond to us in the timing we want him to respond? Do we question his word? Or more often, do we question his character, his goodness? Are we allowing sinful desires to steer our ship? Are, are, are we allowing a view of morality that, quote, better suits us to move us away from God's word? In what ways are we grumbling against God? Things that should produce a heart of gratitude. In what ways are we coming to God grumbling saying, Lord, I know you have miraculously provided, but it lacks flavor. In what ways is history repeating itself? Paul issues this warning, this powerful warning that not only hit the Corinthians right between the eyes, but, but church, that, that hits us. It, it causes us to need to do kind of a, a heart check, a heart check here, because if left unchecked, if left unintentional, history will repeat itself. And Paul makes that really clear in verse 12. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. For anyone who might thinking, yeah, that would, might be thinking, that, that would never be me. I would never be a bonehead like that. I would never struggle that way. I'd never be as foolish as they are. Paul calls our attention to remember history repeats itself. Take heed lest you fall. He encourages each and every one of us to be careful, to exercise caution, to be intentional, to heed this warning so that we don't think that we are above the sins that entangled previous generations. You have not outgrown it. Neither have I. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is a beautiful and powerful warning. But Paul doesn't just leave us here with a history lesson. Um, instead, Paul now begins to shift us to application. And I want us to look at one more verse together this morning. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common 
to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's a few things in this verse. Um, We know we're all sinners. We know that every single one of us face sin, temptation, trials. We know this. This is universal. But here's the reality. In the midst of that, the first thing we see from this powerful text is that, church, we know our enemy's schemes. We know our enemy's scheme. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. So it can be incredibly alienating to think that you and you alone are the only one who deals with what you deal with, who faces the kind of attacks that you face, who struggle, struggles with the things that, that you struggle with. It can be so alienating, but church, you are not alone, and it would be so foolish for us to think that we're the only person, that we're the only person who struggles with that sin, to think we're the only one who deals with what we deal with. You are not alone in your temptation. Now, I say that not as a way to say, raise your hand if you're a sinner. Yeah, we're all sinners. That's awesome, right? That's not what I'm getting at. That's not what I'm, I am saying though that you and I are not alone in our struggles. Um, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, remember? That includes temptation. There's no new, there is hope in knowing that our, our enemy does not have new tricks. He, does, he has the same old tricks and it, they work. From the garden to the church, it's the same, there's nothing new. And you are not alone in your struggles and in your trials. We know our enemy, and now we get to learn from those who came before us. It's like an athlete who studies game film. So they can know how to better meet that opponent next time they meet. It's like a general who studies the battles of their in, past battles of their enemy so that next time they meet can better face them. We learn from those who came before us knowing that we have our enemy's playbook. Like, that is incredible. You are not alone. For anyone who, here, who is here who feels alone, who thinks if they only knew, for anyone here who's carrying the shame of thinking, I'm the only one as bad as this in this room. I'm the only one who has that tendency. You are not alone because our enemy does not have new tricks. And by the way, um, have you ever realized that when you read this, this is really not full of good and wholesome and perfect people. If you're looking for that, it's the wrong book. You read this continually and you think, what are you doing? That's the same old thing. That's the same old sin again and again and again. And then you look at your life and you think, oh, that's why. <laughs> Let us read our Bibles first and foremost to know our God and the beauty of his gospel. But let us also read our Bibles um, to better understand our enemy's schemes so that we can better fight against it. Um, but there's a, hope, there's a hope in knowing our enemy's schemes. But that's not even the most beautiful hope here. So the second thing that I want us to see is, is even more important than knowing our enemy's schemes is we know our God's faithfulness. 
We know our God's faithfulness. This verse gives us this assurance of who our God's God is, who our God's character really is. There's hope. This verse says it so simply. God is faithful. That's just the understatement of the year. God is faithful, meaning you're not alone in your struggle. Um, because of not only because of the history of those who have gone before you, but you are not alone in your struggle because God has not and he will not leave you. He is faithful to you in your struggle. Um, here's what he does. Here's what our text says. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I want you, church, just to take that in. Take that in. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And each and every time that you are tempted, he'll provide you with a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. Let that truth just come to bear on our lives. That, that God will not allow anything to come into your life. That he will not give you the strength to endure. That is powerful. God will not, not allow any struggle into your life that he is not present and faithful in providing a way of escape. How incredible is that hope? How incredible is that hope? And let's be clear here. Paul is not talking about future salvation. Um, in other words, we know that God has told us we are his, he is ours, there's no sin that's too much for the cross of Christ, we know that, we stand on that, but here Paul is talking about our lives today, like now, here and now, our current and our present battle with sin. Paul paints this picture of a future hope, yes, but a hope as we face our struggles today in Every struggle we face, every temptation, we learn from the past, and we know that our God will not give us anything that we cannot bear through his power. And so what do we do? We fight. We fight the temptation we face in our, face in our lives. We fight against sin. We do not take it lightly, and we do not call it our normal. We fight. We do not accept it. We war against it. And hear me, because this is so incredibly important for the sake of our gospel message. I want, I want to be very clear. For those of you in Christ, your sin has been handled perfectly and completely through the cross of Jesus Christ. Once for all, done. It is handled perfectly. Your salvation does not rest in your ability not to sin. But hear me, that sin is not your friend. Just because it can't take away your salvation in Christ does not mean you should accept it, snuggle up to it, and call it your new identity. You and I, um, who are in Christ, who believe in Christ, who are saved by grace through faith, um, we do not war against sin in order to be saved. We don't war against sin in order to be loved by God. We don't war against sin because our salvation is hanging in the balance. It's way better than that. The gospel tells us a way better story than that. We war against sin because we are saved. We war against sin because we are loved by God. We war against sin because we know and have been changed by the gospel. This is who we are. This is our identity in Christ. And I want to close with this because this is so important to remember as we talk about our war 
against sin. Um, this may surprise you. You and I are not perfect. We're, we are not perfect no matter how much we learn from those who come before us. We're not perfect. Um, church, what happens when even though God would not allow something to come into your life that you can't handle, even though God is with you and he's giving you the strength to endure, what happens when even though God has told us he's going to make a way of escape for you, what happens when, even though all of that's true, what happens when we fail? What happens when we fall? What happens when we sin? Church, here's what happens. The people of God run to Jesus Christ knowing that there is forgiveness as we look to him. Knowing that we are loved and that we are saved by grace through faith and not in our ability to be good. Our text says God is faithful. Church, that's true even when his children are unfaithful. God is faithful even as we stumble and choose sin, even though even as we wander, God is faithful and we cling to his grace. And so because of that, church, let us learn from the past and put away our chronological snobbery. Let us learn from the past and apply its lessons to our lives today. Um, let us war against sin, knowing that our God is faithful. And let us cling to his grace through the cross of Jesus Christ in all, all things. Church, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, but in each and every temptation, you, your word has said that you will provide a way of escape that we may endure it. Now, Lord, help us to fight well, to war against sin because we are yours. Help us to, to learn from your word, from history, from those who came before us, and help us to follow after you in joy. Thank you for the cross. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.